Welcome to the Construction Pals Podcast, brought to you by Blue Tape, your source for the latest in the construction world. Hard hats off, headphones on, and let's get started. And I'm your host, Rick Butler from Blue Tape. And I'm Elizabeth, also from Blue Tape. In today's episode, we're speaking with two marketing experts from Linker. John Linker, founder and chief vision officer, and Asef Ari, partner and chief executive officer. From high-level strategizing to producing creative ad campaigns, John and Asef have a wealth of experience transforming businesses through careful planning and imaginative marketing. In part one, we'll be focusing on contractors, remodelers, and builders, and how strategy and marketing can build their business. Hello, John and Asaf. Hello. Thanks for having us on the show. It's great to have you. Yeah, appreciate y'all. Uh, tell uh, tell us a little bit about Linker and y'all's connection, your personal connection to the construction industry, fellas. Sure. Well, Linker uh, offers growth, consulting, and marketing services. And uh, we have a, a variety of industries that we work in, but um, the construction industry is one of our vertical markets. It's one of the places that we have expertise. And how that expertise uh, developed was, um, you know, I myself personally was involved in several trades when I was growing up and going through college. Um, but, you know, Saf was actually, our relationship started with, he was part of a group of people that contracted Lenker to uh, help a um, a company in, uh, uh, in the construction industry, a, a concrete company, to um, not only grow but pivot from being kind of a, a commercial focused, um, you know, union shop to being more of a, a non union um, residential focused shop. And um, the company was on its heels. It, it had gone through some some difficulties, and it was basically um, starting over. And Asaf comes from a very um, well known family for um, creating massively successful businesses in the construction industry. So he came from that kind of background, and he was raised on that. He can talk about that here in a, in a couple minutes. But they brought us in and uh, they chose Linker to be their partner in, in helping kind of rebrand and relaunch this business. And together, Asaf and I really formed a relationship and, and for a decade um, saw that business go from being underwater to being, I think, about 15 million in revenue by the time uh, he, he had left that business and it continues to thrive. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm going to I'm going to kick it over to Asaf and, and, and he can maybe pick up the story from there how how he made the decision to join Linker. Yeah. So my, uh, thank you, John. And, uh, and my background is, you know, business and accounting and back in, uh, 2012, um, we, myself and my family, we, we came across that, you know, troubled business and we saw an opportunity to help turn it around and we got involved. And one of the first things that we wanted to do was, you know, get the, get the marketing strategy in place and we were um, looking for a marketing partner and Lenker at the time was uh, our chosen vendor after a series of multiple meetings. And yeah, like John mentioned, it was a, it was a journey taking a signatory shop, uh, you know, turn into a non-signatory shop, non-union, 
uh, changing the core focus of the business from commercial to residential, being you know becoming pretty much the leading um, concrete residential shop in the market here for for that specific niche uh, of decorative concrete and uh, turning into a very successful business that you know after I left continued to thrive and and do well. So I, I and then when I left the business, uh, John saw the opportunity to bring me into Lanker and implement some of the you know, practices we did over there uh, in Lanker to sustain growth and and build a, a, a strong, healthy, thriving business. So I kind of see it as sort of you guys come in when uh, like a company needs a little bit of help and you just kind of help them pivot towards the right path. Is that what I'm hearing? Like you help them with the overarching strategy and things like that. And then you kind of you kind of leave like a fairy godmother and you allow them to continue on their way. It's, it's a little bit like that. Um, it ends up being more like being the coach on a team though. Um, because, you know, in a lot of cases in, in a soft and I are involved in, in different, um, you know, client accounts in the, in the construction industry, we've helped multiple businesses grow um, beyond that initial uh, concrete company. Um, Saf and I both have some ownership interest in some, uh, construction related companies. And so we know both know, you know, a stuff more than I do. Um, but I, we both have some experience with, with this and, um, really what we find is the most common issue is that you have somebody who's really skilled in a trade who decides they want to start their own business. And, um, and they start that business based on that knowledge and skill and their reputation and and generally speaking, they they do okay. Um, you know, there's some bumps along the way, but they grow to a certain point. And then that stage of growth makes them kind of more like an official business now, where you have to start hiring a bunch of back office people and this and that. And, and then suddenly there are financial issues that they weren't dealing with when they had maybe some early success. And so breaking through that 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 almost like a sound barrier from a million and a half to two or 3 million in revenue, and then going beyond that. I mean, that's, that's one set of issues that, um, you know, we know really well and we can help guide and counsel and coach um, our clients kind of through making smart decisions. So Lenker really kind of does a 360 degree encirclement of our clients and everybody's situation is different. We kind of dial up the different aspects that are needed to, um, directly address the issues that are preventing them from, from moving forward. So that's how we approach it. That's interesting. Cause I know a lot of construction companies are kind of in that cycle of, you know, get the job, finish the job, move on to the next job. Um, so what kind of like, I guess it really depends on the contractor or remodeler, like what would help them get to that next stage of growth that you're talking about just because everyone's situation is a little bit different, but what are like, what are some of the things that you kind of initially look at that can kind of give you a little bit of a pulse read? Let's start with the scenario of the business that's doing between a million and a million and a half and a soft. So there's your case. You got a business uh, in the trades doing between a million and a million and a half. Um, they've done okay till now. They're, they're maybe taking home a, a nice paycheck, maybe nicer than they've ever had when they had their own job. But now they're starting to face the challenges of, wow, this thing is really starting to take off and 
uh, there are financial pressures and reporting pressures and things I've never had to deal with before. How do you, how do we guide people in that situation? So that's the, that's the stage that I call it the, the back pocket stage. Um, it's the lifestyle. You, you go to work, you bring a paycheck home. Um, probably, in, I mean, if you're one and a half, you're already pushing it with, with the lifestyle. But if you're around a million dollars, $800,000 a year to a million dollars, you probably bring a nice paycheck home, a um, couple hundred thousand dollars, you buying equipment, you get a lot of depreciation bonuses, you don't pay a lot of tax in early years, you're really swimming in cash. And you think the world is great. But there is one problem already in that stage is that if you don't go to work that day, your business doesn't produce anything, right? You're relying, the business is relying solely on yourself. If something happens to you, the business is stuck. Um, and as you grow and you push it over a million, you're starting to lose the, lose the lifestyle and you see the pressure of everything. You see the pressure of jobs and clients. You start to get overwhelmed. And that's where you got to make the first decision. Do you want to stay a lifestyle business uh, under a million or do you want to push it over over the hump because there's staying at two to $3 million business. It's, it's a difficult place to stay. If you're crossing, crossing that one and a half million dollar threshold, you probably want to push it all the way to five, six, seven million dollars a year at least. And at that point might as well continue to go on and on and on. Right. Um, but that's the, that, that, that initial pain is your first overhead hires, right? When you started to hire, put adding payroll, that is not job related. There's not, job cost, right? Now you're talking about fixed expenses, you know, in your income statement, whether your, your sales were higher or lower, you still got to make those, um, pay, pay those, those salaries. So that's why it's a, it's a decision that typically take you backwards from a compensation standpoint, but it, it frees you time to now do what you're good at. But it's once you, you hit that commitment, you gotta continue to go on for the next several million dollars a year. And it's gonna be a journey, it's gonna be a little painful financially for a period of time. But freedom is around the corner, right? Freedom is when you hit that five, six million dollars a year. Now you you positioned most of the uh, um, uh, key managerial positions that you didn't have before. At, at $6 million, you have sales, you have accounting, you have customer service, you have, pro you have project management, maybe warehouse, depends on what you do. Um, runners, you know, that are not, uh, you know, job specific, they're constantly on your payroll. Um, so all of those positions were you when you were, you know, under a million. Now those are other people and you're focused on building relationships, continue to, you know, refine the strategy and grow the business. So that's the, that, that's the pain. It's the, it's the most painful spot is that one and a half to $5 million. Cause it just, you, you have to hire to continue to push it on. Every time you hire, you go backwards on what you got paid. And it's like a, it's a, it's a line. You go, your composition go up and then drops and up and drops. And there's, no continuous growth on it until you pass that five million dollar mark. Typically, so don't so don't freak out when that happens. Is what you're saying? <laughs> More than that, know it in advance and plan for it. Right? It's it's easy to think that oh, if I made two hundred thousand dollars when I sold a million, I'll make three hundred thousand dollars when I sell one and a half million. I'll make 
um, you know, 400,000 will sell 2 million, but no, when you're going to hit one and a half, you're probably going to drop to 150, 125, and then you go up again, it'll drop again. Every higher in the office, it's, you know, 60, $70,000 a year after employer costs and all that. Um, it just, and, and it hits like that, right? So that we're able to, we know that we've seen it in many scenarios, like John said, we're, you know, besides that concrete shop, I have experience with other businesses that still have some interest in, and, it's very predictable. It's there. It's going to happen. And it's easier when you walk someone through that journey and not just let them experience it on their own without heads up. Right. Let's go. Let's go to a practical thing, fellas. Uh, I'm I'm a small one million annual revenue contractor or builder, and I want the initial consultation sit down. Uh, with you you guys, one of you guys, both of you guys, however you do it, sort of walk me through what kind of questions are we going to go to determine the health of my business? I'm I'm one million annual rev. I've not done anything except maybe me and my wife, you know, in the back office. And I want to sit down with y'all and I want to take it to that five to six million. Take me through some practical questions that are going to determine the health of my business. And where we go from here? The first question is, what kind of pain tolerance do you have? You know, if you want to go from a million to six million, you're going to suffer a lot. I mean, that's just a fact. And are you the kind of person who can suffer for an extended period of time? Because you're going to suffer. So the first thing is mindset. Are you ready for this? Have you thought through this? Have you counted the cost? Because there will be a cost. And, and that's enough, you know, to, to scare some people to do what Asaf said. You know, I think I'm going to keep this simple. I think I'm going to keep this a lifestyle business. And we, we call those people Chuck in a truck, right? Well, it's almost like you take the tact of, I'm and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I love this take. You're almost talking me out of this sort of take, which I respect. And did I hear that right? Your count the cost. It's a filter. It's a filter designed to filter out the people that that should be filtered out. And by the way, that doesn't mean failure. That means you've made the right choice for you. Know thyself, right? The point is, it's it's not, you know, there's there's a certain kind of person that's going to succeed. And if you're not that kind of person, you're going to fail. It's whatever kind of person you are. There are a series of decisions that you need to make, a commitments that you need to make um, to endure the obstacle course that you're going to go through. And, and if you're able to do that, um, and, and if, you, if you absolutely have something to offer the market, and you can learn about running a business, and you can learn about nurturing relationships and, and figuring out things like, how do I maximize customer lifetime value? You know, how do I assess that? There's so many things that you can have as tools in your toolbox to excel, um, but it's it's going to go so far beyond the actual trade that you're involved in that there'll be days where you feel like, I, I don't even think about the actual work of the trade anymore. I'm thinking about how to build and run a business. And, and that's exactly how you you do need to think if you're going to go from you know a million to six million. Asaf, do you want to correct any of that? <laughs> It's not correct. I want to add to it. So absolutely, that's the first filter. You got to know what you're coming into and be honest about it. You're going to go into a journey, which I think as an entrepreneur, it's going to be really fun. 
but it's not for everyone, right? I, I know you go on social media these days and every fifth scroll is here's 10 ways to make a million dollars next year, but it doesn't, real life is not like that. Generating a million dollars in revenue, it's it's a lot of hard work. Yes, there's some lucky ones out there, but it's a lot of hard work to create sustainability around it and systems around it. So once we go through the filter, we'll dive into a couple of things. A, understand the business current place. So what are they good at? What are they not good at? How are they acquiring clients? Customer acquisition costs, which they probably don't have. It's probably just word of mouth or they're running their own Google ads or something like that. Um, we'll, we'll look at all kind of metrics that probably haven't thought about closing ratios. One thing I love is, oh yeah, I close every job I see, right? Okay, that's terrible. You know, you're trying to sound like a good salesperson, but you're, that's terrible business decision. That means you're, you're, you're underbidding those jobs, right? So you want to make sure you align your metrics with the goals, with the margins. Um, I would absolutely take one job. I would take $100,000 job with 30% margin than two uh, $100,000 jobs with 15% margin, right? I'll work half same revenue, like I'll work half the revenue and make the same amount of profit. So when you just bid lower just to get work going and keep three, you know, three guys working, it doesn't really do you any good as, as a growth strategy. You're, you have zero chance of succeeding. And I see it a lot, right? Um, that chuck in the truck doesn't have overhead and, oh, I just, here's my cost and I'm working it too. And I'm charging labor and I'm making another 10% on top of it. That's great. That's the lifestyle, Right. But it's you. You cannot grow a business like this sustainably, right? So, so really understand the business metrics and then start shaping them into what it's going to look like to sustainably grow. So those margins from those jobs can support the growth of the business. And then, while you're doing that side, the other side will be forming the plan. You know, moving from one to to five. Let's call it. You know, it's five x. Understand the time span that you would like that to happen. Typically, three, four years with a with a good sustainable strategy, right? Uh, that will manage the risk to not allow you to fail. Because if you the, the the more you try to achieve quicker, the higher the likelihood of you failing, right? So it will mitigate. You know, from one, I would say try to double the first year, get it to two. And then get it three and a half ish, three to three and a half, and then get it to five. That would be the three year plan that you know we've seen multiple times happening with our own uh, businesses and with others as well. And that will be a fairly sustainable growth, uh, aggressive but sustainable, right? Um, you look backwards and like, wow, I achieved quite a bit, right? But when you go through the journey, it will there'll, there'll be elements of pain with it. But have the strategy that here's how we get from here to here. There's certain actions you got to take to get there. There's, you got to learn how to retain clients. You got to learn how to get better referrals. You got to learn how to get paid leads that are very, very expensive in the trades. Typically, they're in the hundreds of dollars per qualified lead. Yes, there's a lot of junk leads out there that someone, you know, some 16-year-old kid sitting in Starbucks can get you, you know, 30 a month. Um, but those, you know, for, for whatever, 40, 50 bucks a lead, but they're not, they're typically not good leads. Those are not how you're going to grow the business. Um, to get the good leads, they're, they're expensive, right? Um, so have that plan that you can afford to spend that money to support the growth. Know the metrics is 
your 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 targets of how many leads you're gonna get, your conversion ratios on them, the gross margin margin per job, sustainable that, and then what are the overhead pieces you'll need to plug in to support that growth so you don't go crazy, because you know that that first hire is probably the the hardest. So just we'll, we'll build a plan, we'll have the filter, then we'll have understanding the business and the growth plan to create that sustainability. And and best chance to succeed, right? It's there's no guarantees. You still got to do good work um, and deliver, but um, but will give you you know what are the what will give you the best chance to succeed. And and even if you fail, how do you control and mitigate that failure, right? Because you'll as you grow the business, there'll be a couple of down years. Either the economy or something happen, you'll have a couple of down years. So you got to learn in advance how you're gonna how you're gonna manage that. In, in terms, let's go. Let's go real granular here. Uh, Chuck on the truck again. Initial meeting. We filtered it out. I want to go full speed ahead. I've got a logo. I've got a website. So my my mindset is, I you know I'm small and I need this fed to me like I'm in third grade, and I need to know first step. Just keep it short. Tell me the first step. Step one is to realize that. Um, because you have a logo and a website, um, it doesn't mean you have a brand. You know, branding branding is the most important thing that you need to deal with when you start a business. Because what most people don't realize is that a brand isn't a pretty logo and a fancy website. Your brand is what people believe about you. Okay. And the first person that needs to believe the right things about you is you. Your the first audience for your brand. What story are you telling yourself about your future? What picture are you painting in your mind? And then generally the next person is your spouse or significant other. You're telling them about your idea. I want to leave my job. I want to do this. I want to do that. Or maybe you're already into it. You're a couple of years into it. And you're at that. And you're at that, uh, that million dollar level. Um, and, and when we, we think about our brand, the story we tell ourselves, it really ties into that mindset that we talked about earlier. How have you oriented yourself about the journey ahead? Who have you decided to be as a leader of the business? Because you're, at least initially, your business is going to be an extension of you and your values and your abilities. But as you grow and you add people, you need to attract them to an idea, to a vision. Why should they join you versus somebody else? What's the idea, the central organizing idea that differentiates you as an employer and then differentiates you to the customer base? And so part of that is you you need to know yourself, understand yourself, ask yourself these hard filter questions that we've talked about, about how you're going to go forward. But once you do decide to go forward, now you got to think about what is the landscape like? What's the ecosystem Who are the competitors that are out there and what stories are they telling about themselves? And and who are are the people in the marketplace that are going to hire us? What is their storyline? What are their needs? And how do I fit into their story? A lot of people think that telling your brand story is about telling your story. No, that's not what a brand story is. A brand story is a story of your target audience. What's the journey they're on? They're the hero in their story, and you are proposing, you're auditioning to be a supporting cast member 
in the story of their situation and needs, right? It's their story. When you're telling a brand story, you're telling about how you're going to come in as a supporting cast member and you're going to lift up their situation and help it be better. You're auditioning to come in and help them achieve their goals, right? So this is all about branding. And you notice that the reason it's the most important thing is because it's the process of thinking through your identity and who you are is how you kind of sort out and organize your game plan about what you're going to actually do, right? You want to be the kind of person that leads an organization that satisfies all their customer needs. You're going to lead an organization that has the best communication in the world. If you're, for example, uh, a mill, you have a millwork company that you've started, right? And you want general contractors to hire you. Well, one of the biggest problems in the industry is that people in the trades tend to not be so great about communication. What if you decide I'm going to be the millworking company that has the best um, process for submitting RFIs and for managing the flow of when things are supposed to happen and managing the schedule? But that's part of your brand. You're going to choose to put yourself out there in that way. So branding and thinking through what it is that you want to be in the world and how you, yes, you have to tell that story but it's a story about how you're going to be the supporting character in the lives of the people that you're trying to serve, including your employees and potential employees. So that's the next step. How do you kind of shake uh, like Chuck on the truck or even like a larger contractor? How do you kind of shake them out of maybe being a little too close to the issue and like helping them be a little bit more critical and neutral when they're looking at their business? Like, do you ever have any sort of like, pushback from somebody who's just like, well, we've always done it this way. Like, I mean, obviously if they're asking you to come in, they know that that something's wrong, but do you ever kind of get any of that resistance to maybe some of your suggestions? We, we, you, you nailed it on the spot with, we always done it this way. That's why you stuck where you were because you all had always done it that way. Right. We, I, I, I personally hear it all the time. It, it comes down to not really, not really think about what is the real problem and stay very much on the surface and try to put Band-Aid on it, right? It's, you know, we hear, like I said, well, I'll give that example because I hear that a ton, is we, we're great. We don't need to help with sales because we're closing almost every prospect we see. Well, that tells me you need a lot of help in sales. You you have a big problem with sales if you close every prospect you see. You leave a lot lot of money on the table. You work too much for what you're making because you get every job you look at, right? That absolutely tells me that there is an issue. Now, that there's a little caveat for that. There are certain businesses that are, for instance, insurance-driven and they just need to convince someone that they're trustworthy. And then, you know, like uh, certain restoration companies um, for water, you know, water fire restoration. If, if, if they trust you, you'll get the job and insurance will pay for it. So they don't have the money emotional side of comparing bids, but majority of the time is, is not really knowing what the problem is staying, you know, accepting that that's how we've done it. So we're not going to change. So we do get, um, we do get a lot of pushback on suggesting Try new things. And, and really, I mean, it's, it's part of your competitive advantage is being willing to listen to those, to your advisors. 
I know it's interesting that you bring up like basically being able to uh, just sort of pass off certain tasks to people who have a little bit more experience in that. And I mean, a lot of business owners are very much like, I can do all the things, I can wear all the hats. I, you know, I've got my truck. I, my name is Chuck. I can go out and do all these things all by myself and just kind of realizing, um, like for us, it's like you can outsource your basically getting like lines of credit, um, especially when it comes to suppliers, which we're going to talk about in our next episode, um, just being able to outsource certain things and being able to rely on the people who have like the required experience is very helpful to your business. Not thinking that you can be entirely self-sufficient um, because that self-sufficiency is probably a lie that you're telling yourself. Absolutely. Um, well, uh, thank you both for talking with us. Um, we're actually going to be continuing our conversation in the next episode. Um, in part two, we'll be exploring how strategy and marketing can elevate building material suppliers and help them remain competitive in the construction industry, focusing a little bit more on that. I know we've covered a lot of like very large, uh, kind of perspectives that can apply to both situations, both contractors and suppliers, but we'll focus a little bit more on suppliers in the next episode. So thank you guys. If people want to get a hold of us, they can just visit us at lenker.com slash construction pals. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe for more episodes like this. For more information on Construction Pals podcasts and Blue Tape, please visit bluetape.com.